0: Monday's experts
1: Always know what's best Always tell you what you done Monday's Experts Hello, citizens of The People's Game. We are tucked in on a Friday night watching the Western Bulldogs do a number on Brendan Bolton's Blues. We've been absent for a while, but uh, we took in quite a lot of footy over the Anzac round and we are really looking forward to breaking that down with you. Gordon. How you doing, Jack? Great to be back. Great to be
0: talking footy and all things tangential to footy, including Anzac Day, where it stands within the footy, and a unique history, which we'll go into in Book Club, about how sometimes looking back to look forwards and to think about rule changes is quite an interesting little deep dive one can take. Because it seems like the problems we have in footy have always been the problems we've had in footy.
1: Anyway, so without further ado... Footy thought starting for the weekend was uh, from me, and I popped down to the Richmond-Casey game, which had a 15-goal first quarter. I was still buggering around in Richmond trying to park my car, and by the time I got there, we were six goals down, which is very unusual for Richmond in this, this day and age. But um, I actually went down to some, record some natural football sounds for university, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I always enjoy a day out at the VFL and the game was a cracker and Richmond managed to get over the top of Casey which was an omen perhaps for what was going to happen on Tuesday. So um, when you say you always like to go down to the VFL what what about
0: the VFL do you enjoy? I know you're a bit of a romantic and you're a bit of a nostalgist even though most of the things you get nostalgic about you weren't even alive to remember or participate in. Um, but yeah, what about the VFL as a so, Sorry, to, can we just
1: <laughs> examine that statement? What do I get nostalgic about that I wasn't alive to... Or no Well like old school Footy vibes Suburban grounds Oh right well, I'm alive to remember it Because it still happens Like woolen jumpers The whole way. Oh so. woolen jumpers I'm all about The fact that I haven't Splurged $200 On one of those Woolen Richmond jumpers Is a miracle Yeah um, Though I did buy, buy A new Fitzroy t-shirt From the Carlton Draft Last week And I only saw Two years of Fitzroy Existing Anyway Um. VFL Yeah what do I like about it Um I quite like when there's some conjunction between the AFL and the VFL game. Like we're playing Melbourne's reserves and then we're playing them in the, the big stuff.
0: But yeah, I think
1: it's part of it is proximity. Like you watch football from different angles when you watch the VFL. I, don't very, I very rarely sit boundary side um, at AFL games. In fact, I can't think of the last time I was anywhere near the fence. So I quite like the ability to move around the ground and watch from different positions and hear things. For example, last year at Williamstown, I got to hear vine marriage give the umpire one of the all-time great sprays. Um, And I... Yeah, and it is, I think, as well, there's some uh, characteristic places to watch football. I like going to Punt Road. I like watching at Williamstown. Um, I was down at Coburg on Thursday doing some stuff for uni and I haven't actually been to a game there yet, but um, they've obviously just got some funding to to redo the facility. I went through the change rooms there, which are... um, Interesting to say the least. Um, Presson quite like Presson being out there. Yeah, I just I think it's a different vibe to what you are used to, and I think that's part of the appeal of it as a competition. And it's like five dollar entry. Um, so,
0: so obviously, yeah, there's a romantic notion about you know suburban grounds and accessibility and freedom, I suppose. But the actual game does it live up to like also most of the time you'll have a VFL game on or an AFL game on. And you'll have to choose. Like you can very rarely go to both at the same time, depending on schedules. So would you is it is it such an enjoyable experience for the periphery that you'd give that you'd go to a lesser grade contest for the sake of everything else that goes with it?
1: I would. Yeah, and part of that is I was saying this actually, like Coburg is five minutes from me, like Preston's more or less the same. So if I was gonna go to a VfL game there it's a really easy experience going to the MCGs an hour into the city. It's not, you know, but by the time you get on a train and you faff around and you walk and you get there and you get there early, it's, it takes up a whole afternoon. So I quite like that element of it. Um, and yeah, there were times last year where I went to VFL games instead of AFL games. I didn't just go to a Richmond curtain razor. I went to, went out to Williamstown, I think on Easter Monday, instead of going to the the big time. And that proved actually to be a really good decision because the big time was not much good. Um, but yeah, I think it's all those little things. And even just like, you know, being out of walk around and see pissed old blokes drinking tins is... Yeah, nostalgia is underrated, I reckon. Heavily, heavily underrated. Um, and in terms of the
0: game as a, as a contest, so yeah, Casey Scorpius versus the Richmond VFL side, how did it stack up? Like, how, how far off is the standard compared to AFL? I know it's an
1: unfair comparison because well, you have a mix of part-timers these, versus... Yeah. Well, for, for these two teams, I think it was a very, very good standard of game. I thought some of the skills on show were good. I think some of the players on show were particularly good, like Tom Bug. Um, I think that one of the appeals maybe of the VFL competition is the changing or the differing narratives from club to club. And I found a little bit out about this at Coburg the other day. Um, For example, they have a part-time coach who's coaching against full-time, regularly employed AFL coaches. And that varies even amongst the stand like like Williamstown, have Andy Collins in their chair as a full-time person and they only have two full-time staff at Coburg, um, let alone a full-time coach. And I think that throws up all sorts. If you've got like AFL-listed upstart 18-, 19-year-olds who are highly touted playing against you know 25-year-old journeymen. Um, and then you've got, I think, people like Adam Marcon who missed out at Richmond, who's now back captaining Williamstown. I think there's some really nice... Stories And there's such a, a weird juxtaposition of teams. And I don't necessarily know. I think that probably means that it isn't a level playing field. But it is also... There's something kind of heartwarming about thinking about, like, Daniel Wells or Chris Maine playing in Collingwood's reserves and using the change rooms at Coburg. It's, like, on their money. And there's, like, two toilets. <laughs> and, like, the room is... There's not enough benches for 22 footballers. It's It's, yeah... I don't know. There's something kind of rustic about it. It's very in some parts very removed from the hyper managed AFL system that some people resent.
0: Yeah. And you make a valid point with the juxtaposition between teams because at the moment, yeah, we're only 3 rounds in, but we have got teams on, you know, 41% for their percentage of points and then the top 3 teams are all over 160. So you see that and you see that most of the teams they're succeeding now with the exception of Sandy and Port are the teams that have an alignment or are the direct VFL version of AFL clubs. So The other thing I think gets disregarded is that the state level is actually really good quality. So you saw that David Meera came across from from Box Hill. He's played many, many games there and been an absolute jet for them. And he just slotted in very nice at AFL level. So I think the top-end talent in the VFL, there needs to be more respect for it and there needs to be more eyeballs from the AFL to look at that. Because I feel like especially with rumours about lifting the draft age or adjusting some of the draft protocol, that would be the way to go. And that makes perfect sense. Like, why not actually go, I've seen this guy play for four years, I know what to expect. Let's get him in as a 25, 26, 27-year-old from the VFL, mm. as opposed to let's take a massive risk on a 19-year-old who's only played school footy or who's only played in underage comps against his peers. Mm. Makes more sense. And yeah, yeah. this I, I feel like we push State League footy to a side it's like, oh, it's the twos. But a lot of the times the twos is quite quite good footy. And even to the extent of local leagues as well. Like the Vaffa top league, like Vaffa has great footballs as well. So I think there's, there is there is a lot to be had from going and checking out a local footy game. It's
1: never going to happen, but I would be intrigued to see Port Melbourne play Carlton. Or like see a matchup like that. I would love to see the Foxtel Cup or whatever you want to yes, call it. Yes, to come back. and that was, such a re- that was such a good concept. But even just thinking about the VFL and... You've had quite a few good players in recent years out of um, state leagues. Like Podsy Adley was a big find, mm. and then you had like guys like Kane Lambert, Liam Pickin, uh, cut their teeth in the VFL for years, and then got a call up. And I think, I think it's a farm that isn't used enough. I think we've said that before yeah. when we were talking about potential mid-season trade periods, etc. And I, I just feel that there's quite a bit of talent there, particularly at some of the standalone clubs. Yeah, um, absolutely. Where the pla- where the t- talent obviously isn't listed in um, isn't listed by AFL clubs. Yeah, um, but I mean, watching Richmond, it's very clear when you watch the established AFL teams, and I include the Bulldogs in this because when they were playing really well at AFL level, their VFL was doing exceptionally well as well. And I think that there's such a uh, a tangible, measurable thing for your ones in terms of how your twos are going. Like I've always kind of worked on the adage that if you want to look at, find out what a good football team is, it should be about, you know, one of the things you should look at is who's not in it and how strong your twos are. And I think that's always really, a really important sort of measuring stick for AFL clubs. Hmm. Uh,
0: I feel like, so to skew the conversation slightly, a lot of state league chat is about, you know, the farm system. Can we grow talent for the top age or top to the, for the uh, top level? But does the VFL offer enough just as a standalone competition? Is there enough there to just to just be the VFL? So if, if so, say if one day the AFL went to go and fully align ones and twos so you play first and reserves, and then the VFL becomes
1: its own standalone, is there enough there to say, let's do it. Let's- I think so, because all of these clubs have very strong histories. Like if you look look at the history of some of these clubs, you're talking about clubs that are as old as the AFL clubs. Like, Coburg, I think, got into the VFA because of three clubs pushing across to the VFL in the 20s. So, and this goes back to kind of what you mentioned a little bit with the Anzac stuff later and the article that we're talking about. Um, there was always two comms in Victoria and I guess the constructed idea is that the VFL was stronger because it turned into the AFL objectively at the time guys like I think Kevin Sheedy played for Pran as well as Richmond they used to play in both competitions at times so I think it's a really interesting thing so I think that the VFL has enough history or the standalone VFL clubs have a long enough history to stand in an own in their own competition I think having the AFL clubs it's very clear that they all want to win it because if you win the VFL Premiership, it says a lot about... Like, it's a, it's a sought-after thing now. It's not a it's not a reserves competition in the sense that it's a development league. Like, so there isn't that now. And I thought if they, if they go to AFL Reserves, I think that there'll be a way of working this competition into something that allows the standalone clubs to, to remain in it. But from what I can gather, the indication is that that's not on the table right now. I know that there's always a bit of noise because everyone's always looking at what changes we might be able to make to the game to make it better. But also, I don't know if that change makes it better. That's a whole different conversation. But mm. I think, as it is right now, like it's a good competition to go watch in its own right and on its own merit. And the biggest appeal of it for me, and I'm not a father of four that I know of, is that if you have like four kids, it's five dollars to get into the VFL, and you can buy your sausages on the barbie for a dollar, and like you can take all of those kids down to the footy to watch a good standard for like 25 bucks rather than the AFL where it costs 150. And mm. it's like five minutes from home. You can walk down. Which, yeah, it, it's a like a really nice suburban feel and a family feel as well. So I like it. It's a good tick. Nice. And to uh, round it out nicely,
0: if you have a state league you want us to look up on or want to invite us down to your local club to watch a game and chat about that, hit us up at SC underscore mad underscore Oz. Really? We actually should host... A people's game.
1: The people's game game.
0: Well, that already happens with, like, the pub renegade leagues and...
1: No, but we actually need to get through... We need to have... Me versus you, oh. and we get to recruit various personalities. That would be intriguing. We should do that. Yeah, it'll be like yes- it be like yesterday's heroes, except we're today's heroes. Really. Yeah, um, today's heroes, the people's are. game. Yeah, I love, it. love I, it. I reckon that's we need to schedule in a date. Brunswick Street Oval. Oh, you get to pick a home ground, so I'm choosing best for three. And then Brunswick Street grand. Oval's mine. We'll do a, we'll do a best of three grand final yeah. series for yeah. all those who. Um, I'll be at centre forward, centre half forward. Yeah, um, I think that'll be good. Nice. Yep, clunking, clunking some big jukes. I've actually and this is probably a little bit of a a little bit off topic, but the reason I'm actually not much good at football is because I have really small hands for someone my height. So actually clunking a mark for me is not that easy. Oh, there you go. It has nothing to do with my ability to run at all. That's it's only the size of Do you have my really small feet as well for someone of your height? I've got like size elevens. Oh, People okay. you, your feet must be massive. It's like Yeah. <laughs> this conversation ends now. Fair enough.
0: So, the people's question this week is, quite simply, is Anzac footy a good thing? Each year there seems to be more and more noise about... The role of a Anzac Day, just as an event, as a... Is it a celebration? Is it a commemoration? What kind of day is it? How should we participate, celebrate, action, whatever we do on that day? And then because of the... I suppose the growth and the prominence of the Anzac Day game between Essendon and Collingwood, there comes more questions around, will. what does this actually mean? Has it become too celebratory? Has it become too... Jingo whisket As some people say Is there too much Anzac Day stuff now Obviously everyone Gets the bugle Everyone has a ceremony We have the Anzac Day Eve Game between Richmond and Melbourne Which certain writers Have have shown Kind of disdain for So to start us off What's your thoughts On Anzac Day
1: footy As a concept Well this started As a game And I think this is like So this is Anzac Day was Struggling When this was brought in To the AFL when, when this was brought in Between Essendon and Collingwood And um, so there's an interesting point there Because it didn't The
0: Kevin Sheedy inspired 1995 Anzac Day game Wasn't the first Anzac game Wasn't the day first Anzac Day, day Agreed, game yeah. There was lots of Anzac Day games beforehand By coincidence Some
1: by coincidence Some by design But never like yeah. Never two teams who owned the, the day. day Yeah it was never sort of done I, Like I have no problem with the Anzac Day game I'm sort of I felt a little bit awkward when we were Doing Anzac Day ceremonies like six days before Anzac Day, which is partly the, the design of the round because when it falls on a Wednesday, like that's a, just a bastard for everyone, isn't it? And yeah, we'll go into later, but yeah, I, like yes is my is my simple answer. I just am not like I feel like there's a little bit of like okay, yeah, Collingwood and Essendon and have it like uh, like they sell out the MCG every year. Like just just leave it. Like it's kind of a classic case of everyone wants a slice of the pie, but then it's also like. This is not a pie, is it? Like this is Anzac Day. This is like commemoration of some fairly serious sacrifice for Australia. So I'm, yeah, I feel like it's a little bit overdone. Is all. And so I'm,
0: you kind of get you have kind of sat on both sides of the fence because you said the fence is
1: yeah because you said
0: it's a very important day it should be commemorated properly. But how dare it get six days of commemoration? Because really, it's like they've, they've said there's an Anzac Day game because it happens on Anzac Day. But this round is Anzac round. They actually named it that. So yeah. it, it makes sense that every game has its, you know, last post ha- beforehand, its moment of silence, its, its commemoration, its poignant moments before the, game can, before the game starts. I suppose my initial question was, do you think that those pairings are acceptable? Like, do you like, is it appropriate to have sport on a day that initially, or for many, was a day of kind of like remembrance as opposed to celebration? Which comes back to the time, like, when when this was first came in, there was not a lot of hype around Anzac Day. No. Anzac Day now
1: is very different to what Anzac Day was, say, in the early 90s, late 80s. Well, there's two perspectives here, because I reckon it would have less of a place in public conscience if we didn't have the sport. So I think the sport allows us or lends us more opportunity to actually pay remembrance, which I think is a positive. I think in terms of national story, it's... Like, I still find it a little bit problematic that this Anzac narrative is essentially a day that we invaded another country. And that's like our day of commemoration. I'm not saying that there wasn't a huge amount of sacrifice. I just think that that's not as simple and as straightforward as we accept it to be. Yeah, it's interesting that we have this day as well as Remembrance Day. So, like, globally, yeah.
0: Remembrance Day is just, is just for in general, war happened, it's pretty... Atrocious! It probably doesn't need to happen. Hopefully, each day we take a take a day to remember and say, wherever possible, can we try and avoid this? Whereas Anzac Day, and it comes back to the great talk that we went and saw Waleed do about how Anzac Day and sport, ironically, are the two things that Australia, especially and a sport, are the two things that Australia has kind of tried to build their national, their outward-facing national identity on. And it's kind of like well, both of those are quite. Messy because, A, Gallipoli wasn't hugely successful. It's, it's not really based on anything that's overly positive. And it wasn't really loved by the participants who came back afterwards. They no. Weren't, they weren't really going out there with, with pride. It was more like
1: shame or avoidance. And Gallipoli, we also got bullied around by the British mm. and sent over the hills repeatedly. And I'm not, again, horrible. But I like Remembrance Day because Remembrance Day was the end of the war. I feel like that is a more... Like, I'm more comfortable with a day where the war ended as a day of commemoration, if that makes sense I'm yeah. not. Again, I think Anzac Day still has a place. I think that we just have to be aware that it, its place in our national identity is more complicated. Because, um, like, as we said when we saw Waleed, like, it is all about war and sport. I think it's interesting that those two things have been juxtaposed into something so big. Now as well Like I don't think That's no coincidence At all Is is Anzac Day Eve A problem In your eyes Like is it a problem That we've now gone from Just having Anzac Day To having the night before Not really Because I feel like The whole round Like in reality The whole round Is Anzac round So the fact that We make a big
0: deal About Anzac Eve Is really again Because there's Opportunity to The part where I get Kind of squirmish Is that I feel like There is a Commercialisation of Anzac Done by the AFL so they've gone, oh, it's a day off the next day, so we can get families there. It's, it becomes another opportunity for Friday Night Football. Let's get two teams who, at the time, were around about the same level of competitiveness. It'll be, it will be. usually will be a good game. It'll be a big crowd. And it's nighttime, so we get that dawn ceremony vibe, but at a more accessible time for, mm. for, for families and for yeah. guys who are finishing off work and stuff. So that part, I feel like... Maybe that uh, isn't is opportunistic because obviously, you know, not all the money from ticket sales is going to, you know, RSLs yeah, or post-war I'm c- veterans and like, I'm cynical and the about. Stuff.
1: There's a very cynical yeah, need I'm there. cynical about the benefit. And there's also some really heavy rules. I only know this because of the job I work in. There's some really heavy marketing-based rules around what you can and can't do with Anzac in relation to brands. Mm. And com- essentially, so you can't commoditize it and use it to sell products. And then we have an entire round that's still making the AFL huge amounts of, of money in the coffers. Mm. Um, that said, as a fan experience, I think Anzac Day Eve is brilliant. Like, I was really gutted that I couldn't go. Like, it was my, probably my favourite game of the year. I think that's also partly because when you get the the, the bugle and the last post, that, that's all meant to be done in darkness. So there's something very, very powerful about it on Eve as opposed to Anzac Day itself. Um, but yeah I mean what would I like to see like do I have a problem with the round no do I have a problem with the day not I so, certainly don't feel anywhere near as strongly about the Anzac Day as I do about Australia Day in terms of its level of appropriateness so I reckon that I don't really have a problem with an Anzac Day round I just think we need to be conscious A. that it isn't as straightforward as like there needs to be some more discussion around what Anzac Day means and what it meant and why it is the day that it is because it's not just like cut yeah. try. cry we went out and won a battle. like, um, And, yeah, I, I would like to see more of the, like you say, ticket sales. Like, why don't we just give all the profits to veterans? Like, is that a hard thing to do? Like, I don't know. Probably the
0: last point on that one, I think, is do we... That, that coupling of sport and war, sport and battle, sport and the military and veterans, do we leave ourselves open to going down that path of, you know, military commemorance and celebration rounds like we see in the US. So it becomes quite a very common thing in the US that they, they pretty much use sport as a recruitment drive for defence forces. And so you see it like they do it multiple times. Certain teams have kind of three or four games a year that's military around and they change the uniform to wear, you know, military inspired kit. Um, it's very yeah very prevalent in both baseball and the NFL. And obviously, it only happens once. The round only happens once a year in AFL, but that coupling across, you know, AFL, NRL, Union, are uh, three main winter pillars, which already have that kind of slip-ups of going into synonyms about war and courage and battle. Is there a, is there a chance that this slides into that military focus? It's
1: heavily nationalistic, and I am uncomfortable with that. Like, I think that um, I think that the important thing with Anzac Day is not to. Focus on how amazing it was that oh, Australia, Australia. I think it's very much about sacrifice and about acknowledging how horrible war is as a thing, um, rather than making it something that's heavily nationalistic. I think the New Zealand element, I think, is really important with ANZAC Day because I think it takes some of that away. It's very, it's very much, which is actually one of the reasons that I like Remembrance Day, because it's a very much a multinational thing that's focused on large portions of Europe and the world thinking about what this did and meant. The only thing, the final thing I will say about the commoditization is I'm not sure that we need Anzac day jumpers beyond just having the logo. Like Richmond and Melbourne going out the other night with specifically designed Anzac jumpers. I'm like, is that, I don't think that adds anything. It gives you another jumper to sell in the club shop. Um, Yes, you can auction them off for charity But you can do that anyway. And I don't know if the print really enhances that. And it's very, very different to Indigenous... I think Indigenous realm where I was listening to a podcast last night about Hawthorne's Indigenous jumper coming out of the Tiwi Islands and Tiwi art. And I think that that culture is so heavily vested in art that it's such a good way for us to understand Indigenous culture. So having the Indigenous jumpers, I think, is a wonderful thing. Not quite sure I feel the same about the Anzac Day jumpers.
0: Yeah. And in general, they're not... Like, just from an objective visual design point of view, they're not very good. No, and... Like, they did, like yeah. you know, a, a poppy sash is a bit of a weird thing to play footy in. And let's just have the Richmond jumper and then have a slouch hat wearing Digger in the bottom right-hand corner. Or have, like, a fallen soldier in the middle of a V of a Melbourne jumper. It's like, where can we where can we force
1: it's very trivial the, isn't it the anzac square peg yeah. into the round hole of this Yeah, just have the anzac Day logo and the thing i do like is cuz this is a unique part of every club's history is for example with the richmond sash having the names of yeah the, the of richmond the, war of, veterans of, yeah. war, war veterans from that football club on the sash i think is a really nice thing yes personal club specific it's not just a photo of a digger there's something more in that I think than having like oh it's a fallen soldier in the middle of a football jumper like what what is that doing there yeah, yeah. Um, would be my immediate impression so yeah I think there's, that was an interesting tidbit because I just don't know that it needed to go there I was I just looked at it and we were sat at the pub and I'm like what what are that what are they wearing so book club and this is again Gordo you have uh, well you've done some deep 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 Digging to the yeah. bottom of the deep blue sea. So, as part of the Anzac
0: Round, a writer by the name of Daniel Keane uh, wrote a piece about a game that was formed during the Second World War when US Marines were very prominent on Australian shores. Uh, and that sport became a thing called Austus, spelled A U S T U S. Obviously, Amalgamation of Australia and US. I don't know how they pronounce that really. Austus- who knows? But it's a wartime football that blended Australian and American uh, football rules, and the piece is very interesting. Like the piece itself is not to be like overly harsh, but it's like it's unremarkable. It's a it's a pure information piece. It's heavily historical, yeah. Heavily historical, and he like it was obviously a. a a bit like what I did. A tidbit that he found, did some research on, presented his findings for something that's nice to to publish on Anzac Day or during Anzac, Anzac Round. It. So yeah, this piece kinda acts as a launching pad into a couple of different themes that often pop up in in AFL and that being yeah, rule changes and certain bugbears about the game, namely congestion. The AFL's absolute obsession with becoming an international game and how and how it can do and what needs to alter to do that. And obviously, its, its place with the Anzac history, wartime history, and, and where it kind of fit in back then when it was actually happening. So the sport, Ostis, was essentially just regular AFL football as it was in the 1930s and 40s, which is very different to the AFL football we have now, but with the addition of the forward pass you see in American football and gridiron. So imagine a quarterback being able to throw at any time at any place in the field, plus you can kick a mark and handball, and the major difference was that you can use the throw as a kick. They're, they're interchangeable. So if you throw it and then you catch it or mark it, obviously, it's, it counts as a mark. It's not a, it's not a handball. So if you overarm throw it, catch it, that's a mark. And then you can
1: have a shot for goal by throwing it as well. So you can throw for goal. I really want to see this played because I want to hear BT appropriately refer to someone being in the quarterback position. Which is exactly what this gives you. He's he's playing that quarterback role for Hawthorne today and he's literally getting the ball and wanging it with his arm 40 yards. That's what I want. This, this. I'm so glad I've just... I want to throw this at BT. Carry on. In fact, we
0: probably should play... Our version of the People's Game as an Osteus game.
1: Oh, this is just this game is going to be legendary. I have, do I know any Americans? Or All we any do, people like three, art? we do our three-game series is oh no, you know what we do. Versions. We do a game of Mangrook, yes, a game of traditional Aussie rules, and a game of Ostos. Oh, this is going to be the best three-game series
0: ever. All right, and so then continuing on, where it opened up for me is that partly it comes from this. Where it's around for me is where it comes into discussion around the throw. And so for many, the throw would seem like a very artificial and outside thing to add to football. But in fact, it wasn't the first time the throw had been introduced to football. So as part of this deep dive, I went into <laughs> the throw pass era. Have you, are you being familiar with the throw pass era? Uh, no, but I'm familiar with the flick pass. Yes. So Which kind of still happens. During the 1920s and 30s, There was just severe, apparently, severe issues about congestion. Oh, shock and behold, nothing's changed since, you know. Since 100 100, 100 years years ago. ago. Um, And so the VFL and the VFA, who were two rival codes playing at the same time, took different approaches to this. And so the VFA went, you know what? Umpires can't tell if you've handballed it or if you've slapped it or if you've kind of thrown it or whatever. So let's just let people throw the pill. So long as you, you have two hands on the ball and you don't throw it overhand. So you can't do the American pass, but you can do the rugby pass, essentially. You can go in any direction, and that way, if you're tackled, and you, it's like immediate holding the ball, essentially. So we'll let you throw it to get out of the way quickly, but other than that, if you don't get rid of it in time, you're done.
1: Mm-hmm. And then congestion just disappeared overnight, essentially. That simple. Well, That's I was simple. about to say that getting rid of congestion is a bit like leaving a porch light on for Harold Holt. Apparently, that's not right because they got rid of it. Yes, so con- congestion pretty much just just
0: disappeared, and the VFA game thrived. People wanted to go play that instead so of VFL, which was still hugely congested, and they would try and grapple with, no, do we? How do we get rid of? How do we get rid of that? How do we get rid of dropping the ball as an issue? Because really, the whole issue around dropping the ball has been in the game since its inception. So, rule eight of the ori- original Melbourne rules actually said that you have to drop the ball. If you got tackled and you didn't drop it, then it was a free kick against you. So this whole dropping the ball and sticking your hands out has been an issue since football's inception, which is just very ironic that no one in, you know, the 120 years of football plus has actually gone, you know what, let's just let's just make that a free kick against, and that will solve most problems. Not everyone was a fan of the throw pass, however. So the VFR was like, where the better comp. Our players can perform a hand pass very well. There's no need for the throw pass. So uh, we won't have it. We won't partake in this. And uh, their general just snobbery of their level of players was like, no, we don't need it. Let's just completely ignore it. Whereas a certain sports writer by the name of Heck De Lacey, said given the association throw pass to a team of 18 experts and the crowd will never stop roaring from bell to bell, the game would be played with the speed of ice hockey and the precision of chess. Ironically, he was the inventor
1: of ostus. Can I just put this in the background because this... Carlton Bulldogs game does not have the speed of ice hockey or the precision of chess. Okay. But yeah, carry on. Uh, so he created Austus. Yeah, so he he mm-hmm. was very willing as a, as a sports writer
0: to try and advance AFL, and he was running for the Sporting Globe, so he had overseas connections, wanted to bring this game internationally. Which brings me to my first talking point is that what is our obsession with global expansion? Obviously, like, Aussie rules is Australian rules football. It is very much our... Indigenous game. Why? Why is there the obsession to try and get it internationally when other other countries indigenous sports, so like Grid is only played really in America. They have no qualms about it being just an American sport.
1: With the well, they do play occasional showpieces.
0: They, they play, but they don't. Yeah. They're, not, they're not trying to be like. Oh, we need to make this the global game. They go no and that's partly America's just very
1: insular focus on itself. But okay. why why the international reach? Why the yeah. two, why the imperialisms. Two Number one, I'll steal well something I, I can't go an episode without referencing something that Flanners has told me. So <laughs> Flanner's great point is that the game has only really thrived in four places on Earth ever. And that's Tasmania, Victoria, South Australia and Western Australia. And it's not really ever thrived or being the main sport outside of those four places. So that's sort of, I think, an interesting and quite a cynical view. Um, But leading on from that, I think there's something quite Australian about this. Like, it's almost... Do you know how we have a need, and this is almost going back to the 1920s, to prove ourselves internationally through whatever means possible... I think there's a genuine desire for people here to be able to go to someone and go no this is the best game and we genuinely want people to believe it like we don't have a concept I think as a nation of our place in the sporting ecosystem and I say that because if you look at the way that international sport is the world game will always be soccer there's so many reasons for that some of them are that, like you don't even need a ball you need a tin can to play soccer Um, it's so uncomplicated that it is hard to replace because it's... You can play it everywhere. Uh, So part of me thinks that we're really foolish and naive to believe that we can upset that apple cart. And part of me also believes that that is quite an inherently Australian thing. As you say, I don't think there's a lot of other nations... ...begging people to take their national sport on.
0: No, like Ireland's not trying to make Gaelic football. Or Hurley. Or Hurley. Both of which yes, are amazing games. Yes, they're amazing games, they're amazing spectacles. If you get the chance, go check out a GAA funnel in any of any of the disciplines because mm. it's just in a great spectacle. But at no stage are they going... In fact, they're on the exact opposite. Everything about the GAA is preserving the cultural identity of the country and saying that we are mm. Irish, this is an Irish sport, if you, want, if, if you want to play it in your country, go nuts. But we're not going to try and change or alter mm. it so it's more palatable to other people.
1: Yeah. Because, like, what my question with this is, like, what's the end game for this? Like, we have the International Cup, which was here last year. The AFL did virtually nothing to promote it. That's people playing football overseas that don't get recognised. But, like, what are we expecting? Are we going to have a, a Japanese team enter the AFL? Like, is that... what's Like, my question is, like, what's the end game? I don't understand what the end well, is. leads to my
0: second point, is how much do you think the AFL will alter the game to make it marketable to other countries? Because this has been another common strand throughout the history of, of Australian rules, is that in 1934, they tried to unify all of Australia's like football. So, R- Lurie mm-hmm. League and AFL, they wanted to unify that into... We're not playing that. ...something they called... <laughs>
1: universal australian football okay so can was, i can i just get into the, your head that it can't be universal if it's australian football the, that's, an oxy- that's not yeah, right yeah, that's, that, that's what they called it they called it univers- all encompassing yeah well they, they,
0: the name they gave it in 1938 well they were peanuts was universal australian football it was essentially Try, just really just blend rugby league and Australian football together How do you do that? Well, they, that's the problem They couldn't come to an agreement But what they did oh, in really? The, the
1: NRL and the AFL couldn't come to an
0: agreement? What they, <laughs> what they did in the interim discussions was try and work out how it would work So they would play it on a ground the same length and width as an AFL ground So roughly 160 metres long and 100 metres wide But it'd be rectangular like a rugby league pitch this sounds... It would have end, it would have uh, goal zones or end zones, like where the tries happen in rugby league. Yeah. And it would have the same crossbars and uprights as rugby league. If you kicked it through and over the crossbar, it was three points. If you scored a try, it was two points. And if you tackled the opposition in their end zone or try zone, it was one point against. So you gave up a safety like you do in gridiron. Um... And then the other parts of the rules, I just try to like really mesh it in. So if the ball went out of bounds, it was a throw in on a square field. Uh, There was no scrums or tap restarts. They were all ball ups. Yep. You could mark, you could kick forward, you could throw, but only throw backwards, like in rugby league. Okay. And there was offside, like there is in rugby league, so you have to be behind your ball carrier, but only in your forward quarter. Okay, so, so if you thought AFL was a complicated game to umpire, watch and explain to outsiders, try and, try and meld two sports together that are completely completely dissimilar. There's, there's not a lot of similarities between Rugby League and AFL. AFL is about kicking the ball forward of players and chasing it, essentially. It's a very basic level. When you watch 12-year-olds play it, they get the ball, they kick it as far as they can and everyone chases after it. Yep. Rugby League played by 12-year-olds... One big bloke carries it for as long as they can Then they throw it backwards to another big bloke And they try and run out of the field Just to summarise, that sounds awful It it does and it didn't go anywhere And they never played a game of universal football
1: However So we might, sorry, could we be the first We could be the first We could be the first first historical people To play A game of universal football That excites me we should make I it. might be the best universal football player ever. Well, you, you could very
0: well be because you'd be one of the very few.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. in a pool of 20 men, I'm bound to be a superstar. Yes. Probably not, but we'll go there elsewhere.
0: The correlation that uh, Daniel Keane made between now and then, though, is that AFLX seems to be the same kind of thought process. So it's like, if we were to market this game overseas, it needs to be played on rectangle pitches. It needs to be open and free enough and similar to other sports that they've seen so essentially, basketball, soccer, is what AFLX turns out to be, and then we can market it overseas. So, if
1: is that what it's going to become? You know, you know where we should go. Yeah, we should we should go overseas to Tasmania and just chuck a team there, and all this money that we're pissing down the toilet to go to Shanghai, just just put a team in, yeah. you know, give. Hobart one, and Launceston one, and Bernie one for all I care. Like, come on, like fair deacon. this is not going to happen. Like AFLX was a shit show. Like, it was terrible. And like, well, you say that, but I think only purists think that. There are a lot of like outside fringe fringe watchers actually really enjoyed the spectacle. I'd love to have shown it to someone that hasn't seen a proper game of Aussie rules and actually got what they thought. But yeah, I, I mean, all of this is just feeds on to the point that like I am still perplexed by the desire to try and internationalise. I don't get it. Like, why, what was wrong with the approach 10, 15 years ago where we'd play the odd pre-season exhibition game at the Oval in London so that the expats could go along? Like, chill, good. I think... I don't know why it's... I, I just don't... It doesn't make sense to me. We
0: are We are reaching a point, though, where the world is so global and so small
1: that you can potentially lose... Talent to other sports Now why were we trying to Create universal football In the 30s Like the world was a pretty Big place Because they
0: were Well that Universal football was an attempt To Take over the rugby States So the rise of Ben Simmons To become One of the best 15 Basketball players In the NBA The return of Andrew Bogut From the NBA As You know a, A Championship winner To come back And really blow up The NBL Suggests that what is already a very large participation sport and a sport that has provided us lots of AFL footballers in the last kind of 15 to 20 years could become the actual route. There becomes now a pathway where you can go, you can go to America. And yeah, if you're really good at football, you can, you can maybe earn half a million dollars a year. If you're really good or good enough to play an, an, an NBA game once, that's five million bucks right there. So that's five years worth of AFL in one year of NBA. Yes, there's taxes and all that kind of stuff involved. But in terms of the payoff, it's the same thing that cricket had when the AFL came in. It was like you could play cricket, you know, muck about in the state leagues for a while, maybe get selected for Australia. There's only 11 spots, and you know that's your wage payoff. I'll choose footy as a Year 12 kid. Now it's like and BBL has
1: changed changed that again. Yeah. Yeah,
0: well, as now it's like basketball is pretty much one of the most widely widely participated sports in in the junior ranks and also Mm. it's universal so it's played across all states there's no need to change the rules and you know satisfy all customers so that's why i think there's there's this deep urge to make it international so that you know you can become a superstar and people overseas will pay for it and pay to watch this game and therefore we can pay our players
1: more and keep our talent there's a bit of a talent arm race going on i think in sports oh there is i have no doubt but we're kidding ourselves like we're kidding ourselves if we ever think there'll be a day where the AFL catches up to the NFL in terms of the amount the players are paid. I just like seriously like who who's like who's like the I don't know the logic checker at AFL House or the, there is the, none the the, poli- the rationality police like, there is none there isn't one clearly. So basically what we've learned today on this podcast is that... every problem, no, every no problem, problem is you. <laughs> everything
0: that's been happening, everything we complain about in football, football has been happening
1: since the 1900s. Do you reckon, reckon Gillian McLaughlin sits at home and realises? Like, you know how in Harry Potter that you have all the... They have all, like, the headmaster's portraits around the walls? I don't. But anyway, continue. So they have all the head... And you can talk to them, right? So the, you can, like, consult... The headmaster from like 50 years ago about mm. what he was up to. But that's what Gil needs. Gil needs to be able to go to the like commissioner of the AFL and or whatever it was in the 1920s and go, hey mate, what did you do to deal with congestion? And then he just sits in his lounge room talking to him. He says, doctorate. I let the blokes throw it. I let the blokes throw it. And Gil will be like, well, I'm fucking taking you off the wall. <laughs> and that'll basically be that should be his office. Like that's, that's what he needs. Come on, Gil. Sort of, surely we can get some talking portraits in this day and age. You think that so. are original that will actually respond to you and have a conversation.
0: No. Oh,
1: and on that happy note, it is time which oh, look, I've been. Which I think like this whole podcast has been bananas. Well, but here's a specific. Oh, here segment. we go. Here Strap we yourself go. <laughs> in.
0: Get your spray filters out because bananas about to go off the
1: wall. Look, I'm not going to go off the wall. But as oh, a do. few people who have uh, spent do. people that have spent a bit of time around me in the last three weeks uh, will know that I've I've been a little bit crabby. I don't really know why. I've just you know been in a bit of a mood. You've probably sensed it. Yeah. Um, my old man was like, what's what's going on? I'm like, I'm not sure really. So anyway, I'm going to let it all out. And I'm really looking forward to letting it all out. So... Is any of this football related? Both of these football related. We're not about to get a psychology with Jack. Um, you're not about to all become my therapist. Not that I have one. Um, so the grand final time slot has been agreed on uh, not a few hours ago. And I'm sat there in the car and I'm driving around. And sometimes when I drive around, I talk to myself. And I was talking to myself about... Um, why we need to change the grand final time but then by extension why we're so upset about the potential of the grand final time changing like uh, this was one for my old mate Will it was very much like much ado about nothing and I'm just sat there and I'm like like why 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 are we so ridiculously caught up on this like if you play the grand final at 5.10 guess what Jack's still gonna watch it if you play it at 2.10 guess what Jack's gonna still watch it If you play it at either time, guess what? Richmond are still probably going to win it. Like, I just don't get it. Like, what? Oh, my God, no. Like, we can't move the grand final. It's so nice that it's at the daytime. But, like, I like night football as well. And I like day football. And it's like, what? Like, this was a classic case of AFL making an issue out of something that is a non-issue to me. Like, I just... You don't get right of reply here. I don't care. That... It's just bollocks. Like, we'll just play it at a time slot on a Saturday... In September, and everyone will be bloody happy. Like that's a very naive view, though. Nah, I, there is. I'm, I'm not having, copying that. I'm, I'm, I'm not in, copying
0: this. I'm coming in. <laughs> I'm coming in on Vanos rant. This is this is Gordo's response, and it's that <laughs> the AFL Grand Final should be played at five ten on a Saturday. It makes perfect sense for everything in terms With- of in terms of a, in terms of a spectacle night footy or twilight footy is is awesome in terms of ratings. You'll get so much more, so many more viewers at a nighttime slot, and you'll get the accidental viewers that come back from a day out. Saturdays are always out and about. You'll get those rugby stays tuning in because it's time to watch a bit of telly after a big Saturday, and you're go, "Oh, the AFL Grand Final is on." And then when it finishes at approximately 9 p.m., you can go out and celebrate or commiserate. It makes a lot more sense than a Grand Final that starts at, you know, two, three, and then there's this awkward patch where it finishes at six, and then it's like, well, "What do we do?" For the rest of the time, and no one's really want to spend their day watching telly. Yes, those ones who are, who are already bought into the AFL, so your main land will already do it. Your main audience, but a nighttime audience absolutely smashes the ratings. The NRL already do it, it's had a huge success. It's by far one of the best rating things on television all year. Make it a nighttime
1: game. How long did you talk for then? About a minute thirty? Yeah. I didn't hear a word of that. Like, I'm not sitting on the fence here, I'm destroying the fence. Like, uh, that's how little I care about this. Like, uh, you can argue about it with all anyone you want. Just I just don't care. I don't want to have an argument about the time of the grand final, Gordon. I didn't have an argument. I just no, said... I, no I, but I don't even care about your point. Like, I didn't listen. I don't want to know. Like, it's just an irrelevant debate. Much ado about nothing. Fair. Now, something that is not much ado about nothing is the debate over the draws, Gordo. The draws. I... I was of the opinion that having a an elongated chat about grand final draws, I'm like, this has happened three times in 120 years. Why is this on the front page, or is this the leadoff segment on every radio show in Melbourne? Like, get over it. Like, it's not that important. Draws in regular season football are a totally different issue because, as we know, they happen. How many times, Gordon, out of 100 games? One in 100 is a draw, right? So you get a few, right? And like, are you also emotionally bereft of? I don't know Just logic and normality That you have to not Like you can't walk away From the football Without a clear cut result A draw is beautiful A draw is poetic It's It's why I like cricket You can play for two and a half hours And no one wins Okay
0: It's good I know this is your rant But you can't bring in (laughs) Cricket (laughs) sacrilege into this So a draw A draw in football Is a result Because every time There's a draw in football A, A draw in cricket Is a result Hang on No it's not No because you have No result in cricket Correct, so let me finish. And you have a draw and you have a tie. A draw in football is a result because really, at the end of the day, one team lost and one team won. Very rarely in a drawn game of football did, were there, was there no actual better team on the day. So you look at the most recent one, g versus St. Kilda. g didn't kick straight. They, they, they got away with one there. So if there was a winners and losers from that game, they really won. That was two points they didn't deserve to get, but they got it. So they go, oh, snuck away with two points, better than zero. St. Killer, on the other hand, are like, oh, we take that mark, we kick that goal from straight in front, or we even just slide a point, we get the four points, so they were the losers in that game. A draw is a result in that sense. Cricket, you want to avoid draws in test cricket, because that's a lack of a result. You've had five days, and because we're now in a modern society that can't really hold intention span for longer than 100 balls in the England situation, (laughs) they go, oh, we have to limit this game to five days, and after that, if there's no result, we just go, whoop, it was a draw. There are the occasion where a drawn Test match is quite exciting, they're hanging on for, for survival, but most of the case, it's this team batted for too long, this team batted for too long, the whole thing peed out to nothing, let's call it off a session early and have some beverages. A tie is a result in cricket, not a draw. Anyway, that's some nomenclature and some real nothingness for you there.
1: Just can we keep the draw, please? Why do you need to take everything away that I hold dear? Like, draw, going to the football and watching a draw is amazing. Particularly if it's Collingwood and Carlton. There is nothing like seeing those two sets of fans heartbroken on the same day. Doesn't happen very often, but why would you take that possibility out of my life, ladies and gentlemen? Draws happen. Find your emotional stability happens. and your weekend happiness from somewhere else. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Dark kinds we live in.
0: Monday's experts, Monday's experts, what are Monday's experts?